Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen, and remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Rob Beatty. We appreciate your awesome feedback, and we are not slowing down this week. Last week, we featured one of the largest and most mature sales orgs, and this week, we feature one of the world's fastest-growing SaaS companies. Justin Welsh is SVP of Patient Pop. He joined the company as the first sales leader and has taken them from zero to north of $40 million in just four years. He's been featured at Saster, and his team of 85 reps is not slowing down soon. You are in for an awesome treat this week. Justin, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the show. Rob, so good to uh, be on the show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Justin, you and I met, at, uh, I don't know, what, a little over a year ago. We got we yeah. got introduced with each other, and I shared a little bit about what I was doing with my company. You shared a little bit what you were doing with yours, and I was, frankly, blown away by what you've done. Take a couple first minutes and share with our audience who you are, who's Patient Pop, and what's your story over the last couple of years. Yeah, sure thing, man. So uh, my name is Justin Welsh. Uh, I'm the SVP of sales over at Patient Pop. And and really, I've been at Patient Pop um, going on about three and a half years now. This will really be sort of our fourth uh, sales year together. And, and Patient Pop really offers the first all-in-one practice growth platform that's HIPAA compliant, delivers measurable improvements, and is really proven to grow a provider's practice. So anywhere from patient acquisition and retention to really helping doctors streamline their front office, we just manage that entire patient journey online to help providers grow their practice. And the the way that I sort of got involved with Patient Pop is um, about four years ago, I was introduced to uh, Luke Kerbin and Travis Schneider, who are our co-CEOs and co-founders, actually through a a mutual um, colleague uh, an old rep of mine at a previous company had been really their number one salesperson uh, that they had hired, and um, they had validated sort of product market fit. They were having some early success getting a couple of doctors signed up locally in the Los Angeles and Santa Monica area, and they were ready to scale. So they were looking for a VP of sales, and um, I started in 2015 as that VP of sales, but really I, I only had uh, one rep at the time. Yep. And, um, you know, it was really important for me in sort of the, the first year as the, the VP of sales and patient pop to kind of figure out scale and, um, to kind of give you some background on, on quickly how I did that in 2015. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I added another five reps, um, when I, when I started and really I, I took a different approach. I, I put those reps in strategic marketplaces actually in the field. So I had a few reps in the field in New York a few in LA and maybe one in San Francisco, I think in 2015. And I think some people might consider that a relatively antiquated approach to SMB SaaS. Yeah. Um, but it was working and it was, it was hyper cost effective because these reps were bringing in, um, such a large amount of, of bookings and really, um, uh, just a cost effective way to, to grow the team and to get more sort of market fit. And, uh, in 2015, my first year with about five folks on my team, um, we generated around uh, around four million in bookings. Which Year was, one bookings was four million. Yeah, that's right. That's ridiculous. So, so a, a million a person, basically, well, five people, four million. That's that's awesome. 
Yeah, it was great. It was so, it was bigger than we thought. <laughs> so last I checked, size matters, right? And, yep. and you just told me it's bigger than you thought. So help us out. So on this podcast, we love sharing how do people, you know, great leaders like yourself, how did you get it to be so big so fast? As you look at that challenge, as you said, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick these these four, these five guys. I got one. I'm going to put these others out in the field. How did you help them get successful so fast? Because it sounds like your ramp time must have been pretty fast. Yeah, you know, we we started by really identifying our ideal candidate profile. I, I think having worked at other hypergrowth startups in the past, one thing that I had learned from previous leaders is identif- uh, identifying talented candidates quickly. And in the beginning and sort of the early stages of a company like PatientPop, where, where growth is expected and fast growth is expected, you, you can't swing and miss, right? I think uh, every time you swing and miss on a, on a, on a you know, person on your sales team, you set yourself back pretty significantly. So for me, I got together with the first few guys and girls that I hired, and we just kind of mapped out the commonalities between all of the top performers. And um, I, I did a lot of research in terms of other SMB SaaS companies and sort of what they look for in reps. And we, we seemed like we were really aligned. So um, jumped on a couple of recruiting platforms, Closer IQ, things like that, grabbed an in-house recruiter, gave him that candidate profile and told him to just just kind of hype up the volume, right? Go out and find me as many sort of SMB SaaS uh, healthcare salespeople that we could find. And we started to realize that getting folks like uh, people from Groupon or people from ADP or Paychecks or or my previous company Zocdoc was was just a really easy plug and play win. So so that's what we did. Um, we we found those folks. We put them in markets where we knew there were lots of private practice doctors, and um, and we gave them as as much training as we could up front. I think oftentimes what I see in in really early startups is sort of like a throw you off a bridge and hope you can fly mentality when it comes to training. And, you know, we invested a couple of weeks, which with a a company of 10 people is a long time to invest in new sales hires. And we invested a few weeks in those folks and it paid off. It paid off by identifying who the right people were, how we were going to spend our time with with those uh, people. And then just continuing to think through ways of scaling the team, which, which really brought us actually to 2016 where I, I added my first inside sales team. Um, Built a sales team of eight with, uh, it was actually in New York where I lived at the time and, um, and added one, what we kind of call like an up market or mid market rep. And we sort of had to do the same exercise that we did in the field where we understood our ideal candidate profile for inside. Um, and we generated, uh, just, just shy of 13 million in 2016. So we went from 4 million, um, to, to about 13 million. Uh, and we only had a team of, I think, uh, again, just about 13 people at that point in time as well. So growth continued to just be really predictable, um, yeah. which was a good sign for me, given the fact that this was really the first, um, you know, executive leadership role that I had taken on. Um, and so that, that was a good sign for me. And so we knew we were headed in the right direction. Okay. So I want to, I want to hit rewind for a second. I'm, I'm still sitting here, like trying to pick my, my jaw off the floor from zero to four and then four to 13. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to hear what happens in year three, because now I know that you're, you're north of 40. And so, um, I, I can't wait to hear the sense. <clears throat> you made an interesting statement that you said, we decided, uh, that we were going to spend several weeks in getting them ready. Mm-hmm. Now, talk to me about how you figured out what that should look like, because you're new to the job. Uh, you're, you're still figuring out the company. How did you put that together in a way that you helped these ideal candidates that you've hired 
what were some of the key things? Because onboarding something everybody talks about, Justin. Yep. It sounds like you hit a home run, but I'm going to guess that you didn't get there accidentally because success always leaves clues. Can you share like maybe what that structure was? What were some of the things that you really focused on? Yeah. So when when we initially started the business, um, we had hired two sales reps, um, and you know, it was a really good experiment to hire two instead of one because we got an understanding of sort of whether or not there was product market fit. And if we had just hired one, the person who ended up not making it uh, out of the two, we would have assumed that there was no product market fit when in fact there was. And so this leads me to why I'm talking about this is we took that person who was really successful and that, that's Max Kim Brown. My He now directs my entire field sales organization. We've worked together for, for nearly a decade. And we, we tried to replicate Max in a way that was was automated, right? As I'm growing a, a team from, you know, four to, to 13 to eventually 25, and now we're up to, you know, 85 people, um, training becomes really challenging when you're, when you have lack of resources to be, re, to be manual for Max to be the person who's, um, training these people for weeks every time they come on board for me to be investing weeks and weeks of my time every time a new salesperson comes on board. So we used, um, you know, a really, a really robust LMS system early in our, our lifetime. Um, we got our LMS system down. Max and I sat together in a room. It must have burned the midnight oil till probably, you know, three in the morning, uh, just thinking of every single solitary thing that we had learned over the course of our, just at that point in time, a few months at Patient Pop, getting it into an LMS system, getting it organized, including video training, quizzes, tests, sort of all the things you know that a really autonomous new hire at a hyper growth startup is going to like really eat up and really chew up. And so we, we built that early. And I think what a lot of startups do, and I've been a part of, you know, now four, um, is they wait until they're relatively large to have somewhat of an automated and sort of organized training program. And I just didn't want to do that because I saw um, a potential for failure there. I saw that if, you know, I tried to spread myself too thin or some of my other reps tried to spread themselves too thin training these new hires, then it, it, everyone would be focused on sort of everybody else instead of going out and hitting their numbers. And so we just made an investment early on in that in that system, and it paid off huge for us. Um, you know, I still am building on that system that we built, you know, almost four years ago. I'm adding new modules. I'm adding new learnings. And what we've designed over time is just a working, real-time, constantly updated training program. And now when folks join Patient Pop, the feedback that I get is, wow, like even at a company of, of 85 reps, we didn't expect training this robust. And that is just sort of a, it, it came out of doing it early, which was a huge win for us. So I want to take this to a place that maybe we didn't expect to take it. Mm -hmm. um, so now you have this kick-ass training program that nobody expects. It blows them away. What did that do to your ability to coach your reps, you know, after you trained them? Did that help you with the coaching program at all? 100%. 100%. And the, the, the reason that it, it helped me with the coaching program is to me, when I think about the criteria that defines really successful reps, uh, the word autonomy comes up a lot. And I, I don't mean autonomy, meaning I don't have to work with you or you don't need my help. I mean, somebody who goes out and figures stuff out on their own, right? They're, they're, they're hunters of knowledge. They're people who ingest and consume knowledge on a regular basis. And for me, you know, if I have to pick up the phone every single solitary day and answer some of the same questions for, from 20 different reps, you know, it, it starts to become exhausting and it starts to become time consuming. And so essentially what we had built was not just really a training program, but, but frankly, a knowledge center, 
right? And a knowledge center ties into coaching because it allows not just you, but your top performers, people from other departments in the company to essentially store their knowledge in a place where other folks in the organization can access that knowledge anytime they want and get the coaching they need in real time on the fly by simply logging in, searching through your LMS system and finding the answer to the question that they need. So it's really a supplement, right? Nothing will ever replace hands-on coaching, but it is a supplement to the coaching and it's a supplement to sort of that knowledge gain that reps need in their first year as they're ramping up. So, so that's how I think it ties into coaching. If that, if that makes sense, it makes total sense. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm digging this because you really did go out on a limb. I know as a guy who's been through a startup and other ones myself, you look at the dry powder you have for your sales org and you say, hey, listen, we got to get as much revenue as we can as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. And, and you say, so I'm going to delay getting them in the field. I'm going to get mm-hmm. delay, put them in the phone, and I'm going to actually invest in things that might slow down how long it takes getting out there. You, you did this, and not only did it pay off big, I, I got a couple other questions to follow on this, Justin, because I, sure. I find it so fascinating. So I'm guessing that because you were fortunate enough to have somebody that you could model awesomeness with, Mm -hmm. you got this base that allowed you to create this culture where learning and modeling was just the way you did it. You didn't have to all of a sudden say, Hey, now it's time to start doing this. Was that, did that like self feed itself to start having this culture, this learning based culture, this, you know, let's find out how the best do it and do that. Did did that just become perpetuating? A hundred percent. You, you hit the nail on the head. So, you know, we, we use tools, obviously, I'm sure you guys probably do too, like Slack. And it's really cool to sit back and, and take a look at my sales chat room and, and watch people sort of guide other new folks into where they can find their information, right? So rather than my top performers spending two hours a day fielding phone calls from, you know, 15 new people. What I'm seeing is new folks jump in and say, Hey, I'm trying to learn X, Y, Z. I know it's in the LMS somewhere. Can someone help, help me find it? Quick click. They send it out. And then somebody else says, Oh man, you know what? I, I haven't, I haven't watched that module in a long time. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not up to speed with that. So I'm going to dive into that as well. And other pe- folks might say, Hey, you know what? I actually watched it the other day and it led me to this great sale with this great provider. And so you sort of see this thing snowballing where not just new reps are, are investing in knowledge and not just um, top performers are investing in coaching, but really everybody is investing in knowledge together. Everyone is coaching one another and it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where people are spending time trying to get better and they know where to go to do that. And having been a guy who's joined organizations in the past where there was not clear direction and where there was not clear guidance on where to go to find the things that I needed and to understand what I needed to do uh, to do better, I just thought that was a real win for us. And I thought that early on that grew a culture at Patient Pop of self-accountability, right? So it's me going out and educating myself on the things that I'm weak at because we're a coaching organization. And so to, to me, that, that was a, a, a kind of a, a risk early on, if you will, in the way that I invested some of my time. But it's paid off over the last four years and in leaps and bounds. So. Damn. What a great story. I, I mean, that's something now, if, if you were to now break that down and say, if I was to turn that into a blueprint for our listeners – you know, if, is there two or three things that you would say, hey, if you want to build something like this, because I think what you're saying right now is really resonating with our group that, I mean, every leader is like, holy cow, if I could have my team like that, because too often, Justin, it sounds like you've probably seen it in places where this didn't happen. Quite mm-hmm. often, two things happen. 
either stars treat it as their trade secrets and it's their little secret of what they do that makes them great and they don't like to share it sometimes, or people are afraid to ask for help because they think it makes them stupid. You avoided both of those things, didn't you? Yeah, and we avoided them in very um, uh, purposeful ways. So early on when I had top performers, um, going out and recording new modules and sharing your knowledge became an expectation of the job and an expectation of those who are going to move forward in the organization. This isn't a secret society where we, we have trade <laughs> secrets. This is a, this is a place where if you're a, a patient pop top performer, you're an evangelist of your success blueprint. And so we, we built that in as an expectation very early on. And then on the flip side, the way that we handled folks not wanting to raise their hand or ask questions is we built that in, in the interview process. Um, we very, very closely monitored the amount of questions that people asked during their interview process. We wanted people who were hyper-curious, thirsty for knowledge. And so we brought on what we thought were the right people. And then in the very beginning of their tenure at Patient Pop, we made them very well aware that the easiest way to access internal company knowledge was through our, our coaching LMS. And um, it, it's really interesting when you evangelize to your top performers the, the positives of sharing knowledge, how you watch these folks transform into coaches naturally, right? Mm -hmm. I think most of your top performers have a natural inclination to want to be coaches, but oftentimes they're so busy that they can't find the time. And by having great software and coaching software, training software, you're able to allow your top performers to extend their reach indefinitely. And so for me, it was just setting expectations early and really putting a blueprint in place for both our new reps and our tenure reps for them to understand their responsibility at the organization. What's the most important thing that you uh, try and do with a rep when you bring a new rep on as, as you've done this? And we've kind of really centered on this this onboarding thing, but it's such a big deal. I I don't want to move off. When you bring them on, how do you set expectations? How do you how do you give them a, a blueprint of what to expect in their first I don't know sixty ninety days thirty days on the job? Is there anything you found is particularly important to level set with with someone when you bring them on board? Yeah, a hundred percent. The the way that we try and do things is with full visibility, full transparency. So when somebody joins my team, let's take a you know a new SDR for example. When I bring a new SDR in, um, they don't just get a role description document. They get an expectations document. For, well, first of all, they get a role descriptions document. Here, here is the role and your description of your role and your duty uh, and responsibility to patient pop. Outside of that, one thing that we do a little bit differently is I also let them know, I show them in the organization, every single person and every single person's name that depends on their performance. So I connect them personally to other folks in the organization. When you have SDRs, your account executives depend on your, your SDRs. Your managers depend on your account executives, and I depend on the managers. So I show them that the, the way that our company flows and, and the people that depend on them. I give them ramp expectations from how many calls to how many demos to how many closes. I show them on a week-by-week -week basis how they should be ramping up in their first 12 weeks here. Once they graduate that 12-week program, they have very clear guidance, very clear direction on what those metrics and KPIs are for them to achieve success. Then we have an accelerated development program. How do you accelerate your career more quickly than your peers? How do you accelerate your career? If you fail to accelerate your career in, in the first four to six months, which is sort of our, our, quick and, our quick career path, how do you do it once the six-month mark has been hit? And we're just very careful to lay out very specific metrics the day they walk into their role. 
So you show up for the first day of work at Patient Pop, and you know how to advance your career over the next four years, and is exactly what is expected of you. And I think what I've seen at previous businesses of mine is it really stinks when a bunch of reps are going around and wondering why certain people get promoted and others don't, not understanding the criteria, yes. not feeling like it's transparent. And so for me, we, we just try and take that away. And we're not perfect, but we think we do a pretty darn good job of letting people know exactly what's expected from them the very first 10 minutes that they walk into the job. So, so smart, my man. So cool. It's it's so evident why you're having so much success and, and what a great leader you are. I, I want to now shift off of this because we're almost out of time. I, I want to hit sure. just a couple questions. You know, as you look back over the four years at, at Patient Pop, and it sounds like it's been an amazing ride, okay, what would you say the biggest challenge you face if you're in charge of creating high growth? Yep. What would you say the biggest challenge that you face is? Great question. Um you know, I think as we move into this, you know, technology era where buyers have more information at their fingertips than ever before, um, I think it becomes really, really important to build sort of a world-class lead generation program. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to speak at Saster this year and sit down with, with Jason Lemkin for about 30 minutes and just uh, chat with one another. And he told me, um, until you reach around 25 million or 30 million in bookings, your org shouldn't be headcount driven. It should be lead generation driven. And so that really resonated with me. Oh, that and, resonates for sure. Sorry to interrupt <laughs> you. That's awesome. No, yeah. No, no. I was, I was really happy just to be lucky enough to sit down with him for a while and, and get a chance to go to Saster. And, you know, so I took that to heart and I went out and I, I set on, a, I set a, a course for sort of building a world class SDR program. And the challenge wasn't that, um, you know, you can't build one. It's just I had never done it. And nobody on my management team had ever done it either. And typically when you've never done something, the easiest way for you to do it is go out and find someone who has, right? Roll the playbook out and say, I've, I've seen this before and this is how it works. In LA, we've had a really, really uh, difficult time finding uh, sales development leaders who have built big programs. So uh, we did what we did four years ago when Max and I sat in a room and, and worked out on the LMS. Uh, I got all my leadership team into a room. We spent 10, 12 hours and we studied. We listened, we went to group meetings, we read blogs, we listened to podcasts. We became obsessed with learning about how to build a successful SDR program. And um, I can say that I think we have a world-class organization. When I look at other portfolio companies uh, that, that are you know, relevant to, to Patient Pop and I meet with leaders, they're blown away by our, our sales development organization. And um, that's what really fuels our growth is that high velocity, top of funnel, great sales development program that just filters right on down to our, our top closers. So that was a big challenge, but actually a really fun challenge that I enjoyed solving with my team. What a great uh, story for you to share. Um, I got so many questions. I'm going to probably have to bring you on again, my man. Uh, you, you, you are, you're making my head spin right now. I, I, I love this. So you talked about your, your biggest challenge and how you addressed it. Did you ever have any challenges with SDRs uh, saying, hey, I want to be an AE? I mean, that's a real common conversation. I, I be, I'm with you when I say that the top of the – I shouldn't say top of the that, – that whole lead gen thing is is the most important part because you can't close it unless you found it first, right? That's right. How, how did you build that culture of you're doing the most important job in the company right now? Yeah, uh, plain and simple. It's it's through that it's through that accountability uh, sort of onboarding process. And um, you know, I think the really cool thing with the SDRs that we're we're bringing on board is we've got a nice internal promotion path where folks can go from making 
you know, 60K to over 200K in four years. And we show them the path. We give them the blueprint. When they walk in the first day, I could essentially say, here's your treasure map, right? Here's the dotted lines and the X at the end. And this is how you become that, that high velocity, big payment uh, account executive here at Patient Pop. And so we get them focused on all of the little things that they need to check off on their way up to the top of the ladder. And I think that's just been um, the, the biggest thing that we can do is set expectations. And when I bring SDRs on board, uh, I don't talk about uh, beer on Fridays or dog friendly office or ping pong or any of that, you know, crap that other people try and sell as culture. That's amenities. Right? <laughs> That's amenities. The culture of patient pop is you're going to build a brand for yourself here, right? You're going to work really hard and it's going to suck sometimes, but you know what, when you're, when you're successful as an SDR, you're going to be building yourself a brand at one of the fastest growing startups in, in Southern California. And, and that's what we talk about. So we don't talk about, you know, all the, all the dogs and the beer. We talk about building a brand, being mature and responsible and hitting your KPIs so that you can move upwards internally over the next four years. And, and we really pound on that all the time. And it's, I think it's been a clear message. What a great, what a great uh, couple of things you shared. There's so many things uh, that you've shared with us, Justin, as, as you're looking back and um, what we've talked about now, and as you just consider what you've done, and I know that the best is yet to come at Patient Pop. You've you spent four years writing a ridiculous story, but I think maybe equally important, creating a really solid platform that you guys can have just this growth, not slow down, but probably mm-hmm. accelerate. As you look back, would, what would you say the top two or three things that have you would you would share with the other high growth leaders that are listening to you right now that, that you would say, make sure you're thinking about these things as you build your org? Yeah, great question. Um, the number one takeaway is find leaders who fit in your organization. And this is, this is what I mean, mean by that. I've worked at a lot of places where what was on paper on the resume often dictated how you moved around in the organization, right? Um, you know, great degree, fancy school, um, big name company before you came to the startup. And sure, sometimes those things can, can lead to success, but Oftentimes they don't. And I think you need to find a leader who fits into your culture day one. So, so for me, take, take for instance, um, I don't have a fancy degree. I don't come from a fancy company. Uh, I'm just a, a state school guy who, you know, started at the very, very bottom and, and worked my way up. And the way that I focus on things is I have a very get stuff done mentality. I'm not impressed by um, people's past or what, what you can say about them on paper. I'm impressed when they get stuff done at the end of the day. And when I'm evaluating high-quality leaders for patient pop, I want get-stuff-done people, right? I want people who are obsessed with achievement, they're obsessed with results, and they own delivering those results. So um, I want folks who want that accountability. I want folks who can come in and point to their quotas over the last four years and say, I drove revenue 3x, 4x, 10x, and I drove significant revenue for my business, and I achieved constantly. So I know that just sounds sort of like a, a you know, up in the clouds uh, kind of sky idea, but to me, I see so many people being impressed with a resume, being impressed with a past. And for me, I'm impressed with folks who get stuff done in the present moment. And the way that I let people get stuff done is I let them experiment, track, execute, and repeat. You got to give your leaders autonomy. Let them experiment. Let them track their results. Once they've tracked the results and they figure out what works, execute and repeat. And if you're not doing those four things on a regular basis with your leadership team, you're, uh, in my opinion, you're, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Experiment, track, execute, repeat. I love it. It is a blueprint 
for high growth success at patient pop. And that's something that people can absolutely do. My favorite thing about it is number three, execute because ideas are a dime a dozen, aren't they, Justin? I mean, yeah. it all comes down to, I love, I love your, your obsession with getting stuff done because it, ideas are almost worthless. It's if you can make it happen, my tip of the hat to you, right? So yeah, be obsessed. <laughs> okay. Last question. We're, we're, we are, we're about out of time. I'm going to finish up sure. with you the way I finish up with everyone. One of the common things that I've seen with guys like you that are obsessed with growth and obsessed with winning is their voracious uh, appetite for learning and improving and understanding. Mm -hmm. So one of the great ways to do that, there's a lot of ways you've, you've alluded to some of them, but one of the ones that I love and people uh, like to share is, is what are you reading, man? Is there anything that you would share that uh, is, is, a, is a must read for someone that wants to be a high growth leader? There's no better book for high growth leaders, in my opinion, than the sales acceleration formula by Mark Roberge, um, formerly the SVP of worldwide sales at HubSpot. Yep. Um, it's, it, it's, it is the blueprint for success. All that process, all that fancy stuff, all that he, he was an engineer before he was the SVP of sales, all that stuff. You can, you can learn it in that book. And if you're an executor, if you're somebody who gets stuff done, that book is a perfect blueprint for you to get your hands on some significantly high quality process great interview structure, excellent ways for building your team. And if you're an executor, um, that, that book will lay the foundation for you to grow a team for many, many years. I cannot sing the praises of the sales acceleration formula enough. I love it. We will add it to the library that we, uh, that we have on the, on the podcast website. Justin Welsh, SVP of sales at Patient Pop. You heard him at Saster. He's obsessed with growth. He's obsessed with execution. And he is leading one of the fastest, most successful sales teams in SaaS today. Justin, thanks so much for joining us. I sure appreciate it. How can our listeners get more of you? How do they learn more about Patient Pop? How do they follow you? How do they get more and get connected with you? Sure thing. They can go to patientpop.com to learn about our product. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at justinosu 99 or they can go to my website, justindwelsh.com. Okay. Hey, this was epic. This is, this is so fantastic. Thanks for sharing. Uh, can't wait to break this one down in the Coach's Corner here at the end. Hey, have a great year, Justin, and I can't wait to get you on here again. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, Thanks Rob. Appreciate you having me. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the So What portion of the podcast where we answer the most important question. What did we just talk about and why does it matter? I hope you loved the interview with Justin. What a great opportunity to be, opportunity to listen to someone who took a company from zero to four million, four to 13, and now in year four, they're going to get to just crack past 40. Because I have people sometimes tell me, Rob, it's really cool to hear what the big companies do when they have a $50 million budget, and that's fine. But I'm not a $50 million company, let alone have a $50 million budget. You just heard how a company went from start to world class in how they model awesomeness. Yes, that's my word, awesomeness. Uh, the title of this whole episode is around the doorway to hypergrowth coming through obsession and execution. And the only way you can execute with that kind of obsession is if you have a clear understanding of what does awesome look like. So Justin has found three ways that they modeled awesomeness. The first was their ICP, not the ideal uh, customer profile, the ideal candidate profile. What they found is they needed first to get the right human capital. Hire the right people. Might be make sense at face value, but the relentless commitment to that has absolutely been a difference maker. And you ought to ask yourself, 
Are we only picking up the right people and do we have a clear profile of who they are? Because that will lead to number two. Can we have a clear model of what we should train these people on? And I'm not just talking about sales training. I'm talking about institutionalizing the knowledge around what it takes to win. You know, I loved his story about how they went and they spent nights for, for weeks whiteboarding all the possible things they needed to know or be able to do in order to win. And then they turned all of that into a playbook and all of that into a learning uh, situation. So, yeah, I mean, they needed a learning tool, but too many times we don't buy an LMS till we're bigger. This is a great uh, suggestion on why you want to look at LMSs like LearnCore, for instance, on, on why you would want to use that early in the process instead of late. Because then once you have the right people with the right understanding, then you can do step three and you can model activities. Now, you've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. Transformational results only come from transformational activities. And Justin's success in large part has come because they have been relentless in saying, we know what that path is. And they don't just tell them what to do. They show them. And so that's created this culture of these evangelists. I think that one of the reasons that you know Justin work isn't just the numbers. They created this world where their reps became the evangelists. They were the evangelists for their own success blueprint. And they, and they have this, this, this culture where they share. So you ought to look at your team and say, do I have those three ways of modeling awesome? Do I have clarity on all three of those? But I'll know if, I, if it's working, not because of the sales numbers. I'll know if it's working because of this culture of sharing and evangelism inside the company. And that's what you should really chase. And, and to do it, your leaders need to have a, a, a system that will help that evolve and emerge. And I loved the four things that Justin said uh, their leaders use to make sure that they execute in the present. I can't do it any better than he. I just want to finish this so what with his four things. And it was experiment, track, execute, repeat. Experiment, track, execute, repeat. Do those things over and over, and you can be relentless in your execution. You do those things, and you will demystify the progression path. You do those things, and not only will you enter hypergrowth, you'll stay there. I hope that this was an eye-opening, inspiring episode, and I hope that this is one of those things that makes you go back and say, I have some ways that I can model awesomeness, because if I do, I can change how I execute. And that's the whole theme of this podcast. No need to worry, just execute. So with that, I wish you happy selling and remind you, don't worry, we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at www.salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at www.exvoyant.com.